Welcome back to the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's Nose and the Jimmies and Joes. I'm Mitch Mason, that guy over there on the ones and twos, Mr. Trey Reeves. Trey, it is rainy outside right now. Uh, we are fresh off of Memorial Day weekend. How was that weekend before this rain rolled in? Yeah, it was a pretty quiet weekend for us. We got to hang out with a couple friends, eat some good food, but other than that, we we're just hanging out. I'm getting ready for the summer, so we're excited to take a couple trips, get around, and do a lot of fun things this summer. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the same. I'm about to go off on my first vacation in three and a half years. It is long overdue. Um, Long overdue. Heading up to the great north, so uh, I will be absent from the podcast for at least one episode coming up, but you'll be obviously in capable hands with Trey and Garrett. Garrett not here Today, he will join us uh, next time around. Have you seen Top Gun yet, by the way? I know we talked about that. Still have not seen Top Gun yet. I need to get out there. I've heard it's the best movie that's been released since COVID hit, and I'm really excited to see it at some point. I got to rewatch the old one just to recalibrate my mind with that, but I'm excited to see it at some point. Well, this is not a movies podcast, but let me tell you what. Um, that may be the best movie I've ever seen. Uh, I went That's high watched, praise. That's I, it is. I'm not a movies guy. Um, typically, if I do go see a movie, I'm going to be the most critical of it. Um, for just a variety of reasons, but uh, it it was tremendous. I saw it twice in 72 hours. Um, once on Friday and then once on Memorial Day, and I would go see it again. It was that good. Uh, so if you have not seen it, Top Gun Maverick, go see it. Um, it three sta- uh, three tech pod stamp approval, five stars, you know, all all thumbs up. So it was just utterly magnificent. Good to just have big movies back too. I'll say that. I'm so happy that we just have between that and I think the Thor movie coming out later this summer. Yeah. Like big movies being back is just so nice to see. I agree. There, there's something comforting about having blockbusters coming back. Uh, you know, obviously we just didn't have that over COVID with the theaters closed down and, you know, so much of our entertainment is streamed anyways. But I think to your point, there is something kind of nostalgic, comforting about having something that you kind of anticipated for a long time finally coming out and then having, you know, everybody talk about it. Like it, uh, I mean, well, you guys are are out for the summer, but it's certainly at my office complex. You you walk by any office, every company is talking about it right now. Mm. That that is really really cool to me. Yeah, that's awesome. That's good to have that. What we can talk about, we've been missing that. That's that's yeah. good to have something to rally around for sure. Of course, to get the housekeeping out of the way, uh, we are uh, the Three Tech Pod on Instagram and Twitter at Three Tech Pod. You can go find us there. 
to interact with us on a, a more daily basis. Of course, we post these episodes twice every week, once on Monday and once on Thursday. You'll get some emergency podcasts here and there as well, but twice a week. Uh, and of course, we rely on the interactions, the follows, the ratings from you guys as a new podcast. We really appreciate everyone chiming in so far. We've got some mailbag questions. Trey, we're going to get to a couple more at the end of this episode as well. But if you have not hit follow on our social media pages, please head over and do so. It's free 99. It doesn't cost you a dime, but uh, it goes a long, long way in supporting the show and uh, gives you a more direct channel to interact with us, of course, as well. Let us know what content you would like to hear, who your favorite team is, how you would like them covered. Uh, We've got so much coming down the pipe and uh, rapidly growing. The numbers are looking good. We would like as many people on board the hype train as we can possibly get. Yeah, in Fort Collins, I still need those brewery recommendations. We're counting down the days, so send them our way, 3techpod at gmail.com. That's right. I, I tell you what, being you know a podcast that truly appeals to a national audience like we want to build this, it's so much fun looking at where people are, are listening in. We've got people listening in Washington State. We've got people listening in Florida. I mean, it's truly coast to coast. Um, and, and just really, really cool to, to hear from you guys as well. Uh, buried the lead uh, this far into the episode, nearly five minutes into the episode. This is part two of our quarterback carousel, that's my quarterback question mark discussion. Uh, last time we talked about Eli Holstein to Alabama, what that meant for the Arch Manning sweepstakes, and you know, pretty much narrowed it down to Texas versus Georgia. If you have not listened to that, please head over, listen to part one. You can stop this one here, or you can go back and listen to it afterwards as well. But uh, Trey, today, what we want to do is first jump into a a little bit of news, and I'll let you hit that sound in just a second. But then we're going to kind of look down the the national landscape and look at some quarterback battles across the country that are shaping up. And there's some major programs that do not have you know, QB1 solidified yet. We'll get to all of that, but first, I believe you got a sound for us. And that means that it is news time here on the 3Tech pod. Uh, quite a bit to just kind of briefly run over. The SEC meetings are happening in Destin, Florida right now, and you know, the big story going in uh, was how would Jimbo and Nick Saban play together in the playpen. So far, it's been really docile. Both seem to have kind of backed off of any lashing out at the other one. You know, Jimbo just said, hey, we're, we're done talking about this. Nick Saban kind of apologized again for naming any program, says he has no problem with Jimbo Fisher. Um, you know, any any thoughts on your end there? We, we covered it pretty well, but, you know, nice to see that they're not – at each other's throats in Destin. Yeah, we covered it pretty well already. So I just thought it was hilarious that we did get the seating chart reported on Twitter. If you <laughs> haven't amazing. seen that, someone crudely drew the table around. And I think we even have a Last Supper Photoshop already out there on Twitter too. So that's oh, yeah. awesome. But, you know, Saban's backtracking a little bit. I think it is interesting to hear him say, that he didn't accuse anyone of rule breaking. And, you know, maybe he didn't say that straight up. He didn't use those words, but I think that implication was there. But I think he's realized he's kind of come out on the wrong side of public perception on this one. And he's definitely 
backtracking, yeah, it does seem like the Jimbo Saban feud, at least for now, is fizzled out and we'll just settle it on the field this fall. Which I think is exciting for all college football fans. I mean, look, we don't want this to turn into the real housewives of the Southeastern Conference. That only is okay. Well, you, you, you might, I don't, because that, that gets annoying <laughs> real fast. College I, football is the best reality TV show on television, Mitch. That is I will not. True. I will not hear any argument against that. No, that's absolutely true. I mean, you got Lane Kiffin chiming in, Kirby Smart kind of slinking off over to the corner. You know, he was asked very directly kind of what he thought about, you know, the, the buying players comments. And, um, you know, Jimbo ins- insinuated that Saban maybe hasn't always colored inside the lines. Kirby Smart, of course, a former Saban assistant, so that would mean that Kirby, in one way or another, and Jimbo, actually, it could have been friendly fire as well, didn't always color inside the lines. Uh, Kirby didn't exactly answer the question earlier today when he was asked about that. Kind of deflected, you know, what you know what happened in the past is the past and i'm focused on these 15 kids on my you know recruiting sheet that i'm trying to get on the phone today and da da da, da. so uh, you know watch this space maybe more to come <laughs> there for sure it is entertaining i i am glad that the name calling and you know guys disguised threats have maybe gone away a little bit more i'd like to just see it all settled on the field which you know, right now, as I see the two teams stack up in Tuscaloosa, uh, give me the tide in that one. But, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Uh, other news out of the SEC. We spent, uh, I guess it'll be two podcasts ago when this one gets released. Time talking about, you know, no more divisions in college football as, as conferences look to go to different scheduling models to kind of get things fresh, um, bring in new new teams, new matchups. The SEC uh, is very much talking about that, and it seems like a, quote, one-division model is the preferred choice. Um, my question is, if you only have one division, doesn't that mean you don't have divisions? <laughs> don't you just have a conference? It's but it semantics, seems- but it, it's everybody just trying to feel like they got to have that idea. Right, yeah, and, and it you know, the SEC saying – uh, that the pod system, quote unquote, is definitely not on the table. And then turning around and saying the three plus six model in a nine game conference season is very much in play, which it's literally a pod. Like if you're doing three permanent opponents, isn't, isn't that what the pod system was? Well, yeah. And I think this is a debate that we were getting into on that episode two episodes ago, but. Yeah, it, it's basically a pod system. You can get a little more flexibility if you call it a three plus six because maybe you don't play the exact same games as everyone else in your quote unquote pod. But yeah, again, we're not the ones that have to figure out the logistics of this. We're just pro more consistent fun matchups. And I loved our um, our tweet from the three tech pod account earlier uh, today, which is June first when we're recording this. Just talking about how, yeah, we might have to sacrifice an LSU Arkansas mm-hmm. as an every year, every year um, matchup, but we get LSU Oklahoma and Alabama Florida and so many other uh, Georgia Texas A&M. We get so many more matchups every other year that I'm okay with that. I'm okay Honestly. sacrificing a little bit of that divisional consistency for more interesting yeah. matchups, more common. 
I agree. And, you know, that was a, a tweet in response to Braden Gall of Athlon Sports, who I replied to. He, he released uh, this, you know, spreadsheet that he had come up with. And I love most of those matchups that you get. Alabama is going to get Auburn, Tennessee, Oklahoma in this model. Um, LSU gets Texas A&M, Florida, Mississippi State. That was what I replied to saying, uh, you know, I don't like that Arkansas gets, you know, booted from that equation. But at the same time, you're not going to ever find a perfect solution here. Uh, Tennessee gets Florida, Alabama, Vanderbilt. Texas A&M gets Texas, LSU, and Arkansas. That, I love that solution. Yeah. Keep the LSU, Texas A&M drama going. Uh, you know, Texas A&M and Arkansas have, have been rivals for years, and then obviously you get to reintroduce uh, Texas and Texas A&M back into the fray as well. So, yeah, I, I think that 3 plus 6 model is probably the most likely and what makes the most sense. And maybe there's some leniency to tinker with the three teams that you play on, you know, in every, I don't know, six-year basis, 12-year basis. Once you've got through those rotations a couple of times, maybe you, you go and tinker with that. But um, that, that model certainly seems appealing to me. Yeah, the only thing just in the SEC specifically, I do think whatever we see the SEC come up with is probably what we'll see, at least in the other Power Five conferences, um, eventually. Only thing in the SEC that's a little concerning about the three plus six is there are some teams, I'm thinking about Oklahoma, I'm thinking about Missouri um, in particular, that we are going to have to kind of scrape the bottom of the barrel to find Mm -hmm. three narrative-based matchups with those teams. So I think, I mean, in Braden Gall's little format, he had Oklahoma playing Alabama every single year, which awesome matchup. I'd love to see that every single year but there's not a lot of history there that's that does seem kind of like a forced rivalry and we will have to force that for some teams so again not for us to decide we don't have to make those decisions we just get to enjoy the fruits of their labor and watch those matchups when it does happen yeah i totally agree there and you know what it's going to be great content either way it's going to be so much fun to watch um you know, at the end of the day, man, we can't wait for the fall to get here. It's going to be so incredible when we can stop talking about this and actually see it start to get implemented on the field. So, hey, August yeah. 27th can't come soon enough. Yeah, we are excited to bring you guys a lot of content this summer. Um, I was talking with a listener the other day, and, you know, we are doing our best to get a lot of great shows and great concepts out right now, but we are really, really excited to bring you guys conference previews and weekly previews and all that good stuff. Once we start actually getting games on the field. All right. Well, with the, the news taken care of, and again, we will continue to, to monitor the college football landscape. It changes on an everyday basis. Those are really the highlights from, from what's going on right now. Um, but uh, be sure that, if there is an emergency situation, some something that necessitates content, whether it's here in the podcast form, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everywhere you get your pods, or if it just necessitates maybe a quick Instagram, Twitter response, uh, you can find us, like I said, at 3TechPod. Uh, Trey, let's move into kind of the main, the meat of this, right? The part two of that's my quarterback question mark uh, discussion surrounding some of these national national programs and you know we we've got a couple of programs listed out here before we get to a couple mailbag questions at the end of the episode which school do you want to start our discussion at 
Well, we need to start with our official sponsor of this, uh, Mr. Terrell Owens. It's my team. It's my quarterback. And then we can move on from there. Um, I think, uh, I don't know, where do you want to go? A&M, lots of, lots of SEC West schools really yeah. up in the air. We could go A&M, we could go Auburn, we could go somewhere Let's- else like Michigan. Yeah, let's do – here's what we'll do. We do have – the SEC West is is a little bit up in the air right now. We've got three of those teams listed. So let's break those up. Let's start with Auburn and then A&M back-to-back since they are related, very much so. Um, let's start with Auburn out on the plains, Brian Harson, year two. Um, and it's going to be an interesting year two. For Auburn, uh, Harson embroiled in all kinds of potential scandals uh, during the offseason, most of them completely unconfirmed. But the big one that got him was, you know, it seemed like Auburn had a ton of transfers. I mean, uh, it, it was north of 15 transfers. I want to say maybe yeah. even north of 20 transfers leaving the program. And some of those athletes took to social media to say that Harson's not a good guy. He's not a player's coach. And you know, basically that he's the reason why they've decided to leave. Of course, the Harson uh, hiring was a bit of a head scratcher to some. He came over from Boise State, completely different ecosystem, completely different program to playing at Auburn and in the SEC West. So uh, Auburn last year, led by Bo Nix, who's no longer there, one of those who transferred out, did not take any shots at Harson on the way out, worth mentioning. But uh, Bo is at Oregon. We'll get to that in due time. Now you've got TJ Finley, a transfer himself who came over from LSU and you've got Zach Calzada uh, coming over from Texas A&M. He beat Alabama in college station last year. And now I think the Auburn fans may be hoping that he can muster a little bit of that magic uh, here in uh, year two of the Harson era. Now the issue with Zach Calzada is he's hurt. Aggies know that all too well. It seemed like Calzada got hurt every single game. Now he made a lot of miraculous comebacks, including in that Alabama game, goes into the tent. Blake Bost comes out, it you know, looks super dark for the Aggie comeback. And then here comes Calzada hobbling out of the tent, throws that touchdown pass to, uh, what was that? Anaya Smith, right? Who catches that in the corner of the end zone and the Aggies win. Uh, and take down Alabama. Obviously, it didn't matter for Alabama. They ended up in the national championship anyway. I digress. Calzada, now out on the plains, he's opposed by TJ Finley. They're two very similar quarterbacks in that they both have big arms. But I think the first question is, can Calzada even be healthy enough to really compete with TJ Finley, who certainly flashed in the spring game? Yeah, Calzada did not get to go through spring ball um, in any meaningful capacity definitely learning the playbook learning uh the offense and learning building chemistry with his teammates for sure off the field but not really getting to go through spring drills I think he even was still taking classes in college station this spring and graduated this spring in college station so I think you're right to say it is a little bit of a Spider-Man meme again with Finley and Calzada, two guys with huge arms. Um, we've seen Finley in this offense. He did fill in a lot for Bo Nix. He competed well against Alabama last year yep. as well in the Iron Bowl. Almost Was beat a, him. Almost beat uh, both. Yeah, almost joined Calzada in being the only quarterbacks to beat Alabama last year. But 
the accuracy is the biggest concern. And I think both of these guys, while talented, I think they're huge legitimate question marks as to whether or not either one of these guys is going to be able to lead Auburn to any meaningful success in the SEC West this year. Mm -hmm. You think about who they're going to be going up against. Um, would you pick either of these guys head to head against a Bryce Young against um, Stetson Bennett, any of the other uh, quarterbacks that Auburn's going to have to face in the SEC this year? I don't think I would personally. Um, the list that I would pick them against is pretty short. Um, and I think, AM fans got a pretty close view of what Calzada brings to the table. Now, Calzada should probably start the Iron Bowl, right? No matter what, even if he's the second string all year, you probably <laughs> want Calzada to start the Iron Bowl just because it might bring back some bad memories for that Alabama defense. But the rest of the year, it's, it's completely up in the air. I think Finley does have the inside track um, yeah. be, going through the spring drills, but Calzada definitely showed that he can learn an offense quickly. He does have a big arm. He has shined in moments, but I think any AM fan that watched him closely last year would tell you he's probably not the guy to get you to a division title or winning big games consistently. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, Calzada has shown a lot of flashes, right? And I mean, look, let's, Sorry, and a lot of grit. Like no, no disrespect to the kid. He can't. Like you said, he got hurt almost every game last year. I think a big part of him not winning the job was his mobility because of AM's O line concerns last yeah. year. He was running for his life a lot of times uh, throughout was. the course of the season, and he's not the fleetest of foot quarterbacks. So that's just not a great situation for him. But didn't show the consistency that you'd want to see. No, he didn't, and and that's got it's got to be the next evolution if he's going to be, you know, an SEC West quarterback, right? If he's going to lead a program with high expectations, you know, he goes from one one program that expects excellence in Texas A and M to another at Auburn who has even more recent history of of excellence. Obviously, winning a national championship and you know running Gus Malzahn uh, off the plains when. Yeah, Gus had a couple of bad years, and sure, there were a couple of years where he maybe underperformed, but still, as a program, Auburn was perpetually in that top 15 discussion, and, and that was not enough for Tiger fans to keep him around. So, you know, now a bummer year one, a lot of controversy and, you know, general unease around the program, and now you've got Calzada coming in who is hurt, uh, does not have that consistent floor that we've seen in a dubious ceiling. Now, when he gets to that ceiling, when he can beat Florida at home, when he can beat Alabama at home, that's awesome. That is fantastic. And we've seen the best of Calzada in the SEC. We've also seen the worst of Calzada in the SEC, the inability to move the ball against Arkansas, the inability to move the ball against Mississippi State at home. The Colorado game, which... Two-thirds of this game. podcast saw live in person was yep. just really, really hard to watch. So he, yeah, it's consistency for Calzada. And I think Finley, like we've said, I think he has the inside track. Knowing the coaching staff, knowing the um, the offense a little bit better, getting to go through the spring drills. But my biggest question, and it's going to be a running thread through this, is why take the transfer if you know what you've got? 
Yeah. And so that's why I think Calzada might have a shot at this job is Auburn already knew what they had in Finley and they were still willing to take Calzada. Yeah. So who knows? This is a wide open race. I wouldn't be shocked to see both get time early. They are going to have to figure it out. They do have a non-conference tilt with Penn State really early in the season. So they will need to figure that out really quickly. Yeah, and uh, that quarterback room, you know, they lost two transfers for Auburn this year, Bo Nix and then uh, a kid from uh, North Shore in the Houston area, um, former state champ who also transferred out. His name escaping me at the moment. But, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of unease there on the Plains. War Eagle is, uh, is certainly not expected to have a great season if you look at the pundits and you look at the projections. So we'll see what we get out of the quarterback room. But uh, Finley versus Calzada, Certainly a battle to watch. Let's go to Texas A&M because we do have that easy link uh, with Calzada leaving College Station. You have another transfer from the SEC West in Max Johnson leaving LSU, who we will talk about. They're the third SEC West program we'll get to and, and break that up in just a little bit. But Johnson comes over. He brings his true freshman brother, the number one tight end in the country, Jake Johnson, over with him to College Station as well. You've got Haynes King, who broke his leg last year in that Colorado game, just a super unfortunate injury. He was named opening day starter against Kent State for the Aggies and had an up-and-down game through three interceptions. I think two of those weren't really his fault, but still, three interceptions in an opening game, and then he goes down in game two. So the Aggies didn't really get to see in-game action what you have with Haynes King, at least the quarterback who was named the starter going into last season. Plus, you throw in a five-star quarterback from Bridgeland High School in Connor Wegman, who comes in. Uh, he was the, basically the number two quarterback in the country behind Cade Klubnick, who's at Clemson. Another quarterback battle we'll talk about in just a second. So my question for you, Trey, you look at those three, and there's cases to be made for each of those guys. If you have to pick one who gets the start against Sam Houston State, which is who the Aggies open with uh, week one of the season, Who's starting in maroon and white? Well, this is why Jimbo Fisher gets paid the obscene amounts of money that he does to be Texas A&M head coach because I, I have no idea. This, yeah. I don't think there's a wrong answer any of the three ways that you go. Haynes King, there's a reason that he won the starting job for Jimbo a year ago. Um, there's also a reason that Jimbo Fisher went so hard after a five-star guy and a transfer um, when he knew that he would still have Haynes King this year. So we didn't really get to see a lot of King. Like you said, what we did see, he did flash, even in that Kent State game. You did see a scramble, a big scramble for a first down. You saw some big-time throws that I think a lot of Aggie fans were waiting to see. Haynes King was very highly regarded in his own right coming out of high school, coming out of a, uh, a Longview program with a lot of tradition son of a coach but again why bring in and I know it's for depth and I know that in this era you need as many guys as possible but if you knew what you had in Haynes King and you were excited about that and you're Jimbo Fisher why take the commitment of Max Johnson who's looking to go to a place to most likely start I don't think if you're Jimbo you're really excited about what you have in Haynes King and you don't think that Connor Wegman is quite ready yet, and Max Johnson seems like the safe mm -hmm. bridge guy. So looking at their performance in the spring game, too, I know it was there were a lot of high wins in College Station. None of the three guys really looked that great. 
mm-hmm. um, reports on the ground where it was extremely windy. It was hard to, and of course, in a spring game, you're not getting to use your mobility like you would in a regular game. I actually thought, given the circumstances, that Wegman looked the best to me personally. Just his mobility, he really impressed me as a freshman making his first, mm-hmm. getting his first college action. I thought, given the circumstances, he looked the best of the three. The safe option is Max Johnson. He is yep. the highest floor, probably the lowest ceiling. Um, Connor Wegman's kind of the wild card. He could hit the ground running as a five-star freshman and be um, something that really unlocks this A&M offense. But Haynes King is the guy that's been there the longest. He does know the offense. I ultimately think Jimbo rolls with King to start against Sam Houston. All that being said... I think Haynes King gets the job to start Sam Houston, but I think all three of those guys get a lot of playing time week one and week two against Appalachian State to get ready for Miami. It, it's such a tough decision because, you know, I agree with with what you said that, you know, I think there's a reason why Jimbo took the transfer from Max. Not, and not just because it also included the number one tight end in the country, and Jake yeah, Johnson coming over. That was certainly yeah. a huge factor. But I do think, you know, what you said about that spring game, and, and we saw that from just about all the spring games that, that were played on that Saturday um, in March, April, April, early April. Um, high winds across the country affected all the spring games. So none of the quarterbacks that played on that day really looked good. It was yeah. particularly bad in College Station. Um, I mean, it, it felt like for a little bit there, like nobody could connect on a pass. There were you know, uh, overthrows when the wind was behind them, you know, balls were criminally underthrown when they were throwing into the wind. It was, it was just tough to watch. We're not talking just a brief gust here. They're like, we, you look up the weather report, it was sustained winds of 30 or 40 miles an hour, like just insane amounts of wind affecting those footballs. Right. And, and, you know, and Jimbo did say, look, you know, we, we needed to get these guys to throw the ball. We needed to see what they had. In a normal game situation, you're probably not throwing it as much as they do, but you also realize that hey, that that could happen in a windy, you know, November night game. Uh, you could certainly see something like that. So you got to uh, adapt and be ready to to do, you know, whatever it takes to win the football game. I'm with you on Max Johnson. I think he's got the highest, the highest floor. I think he's the safest option, probably the lowest ceiling. Right? I mean, he's not. I don't think anybody looks at him and goes, wow, what a dynamic NFL prospect. The way that you could look at Haynes King if he can get it together and Connor Wegman, you know, projects to be down the line. We we really don't know what you're gonna get out of Connor yet, but I do, you know, do agree that the flashes in that spring game probably look the best. If it's me just going off of one game months ago that will really not be relevant once we kick off in September. I would go with Max Johnson. I liked the way that he, you know, progressed through his reads. You know, I agree with you. Like Haynes, it's tough to tell with him because I think he could be spectacular, right? I mean, he's an amazing athlete. He's got a cannon for an arm. I watched him win that Longview Championship in 2018, 2019. Um, The kid's a, a winner. He's a proven winner. He is a game wrecker. And he could take the Aggies to that 10 and two to that 11 and one height. If he can perform the way that he's been projected to the question is if that's not a reality, if that's not possible, 
Can Max Johnson get you to 10 wins? Can Connor Wegman, if he's the chosen one, can he get you to nine wins? Can he get you to 10 wins? Like, where is the ceiling for this AM team? And, you know, the, the critics, the pundits, what have you, everyone on Twitter is constantly going to be harassing AM until they meet these lofty expectations that they continually to, uh, continue to put on themselves year in and year out. You go and get the number one recruiting class this last year. Now, the results from this year will not in any way reflect on this last year's recruiting class, right? I mean, it's just too soon. Even if you have freshmen that play, um, you know, whatever happens in 2022 will not be a reflection on, you know, the longevity, the projections of that 2022 class. That being said, though, the Aggies have been recruiting at a top 10 level since Jimbo got here. So you should start to see those 10, 11 win seasons start to roll in. You can't go to Alabama and get blown out every single time you're on the road. Sure, winning at home is awesome, but you got to be competitive on the road. And the Aggies have not been very competitive in Tuscaloosa, maybe save two years ago, right? Uh, I think was the last time that they played in Tuscaloosa. That was close-ish. I think they lost by, what, 17, something like that um, in their Orange Bowl season. So a lot, a lot riding on this quarterback battle, I think. Um, the the Aggies will only go as far as their quarterback can take them. We, we saw that last year. They had one of the top defenses in the country, but gosh darn it, they couldn't move the football. And it resulted, you know, in an eight and four campaign that was beyond disappointing uh, to everyone, you know, in College Station and obviously drew a lot of criticism from everyone outside of College Station. So I, I think you and I kind of agree that Wegman's probably not the starter. I would be shocked to see him get the start. Um, you know, Max if Wegman's the starter, everyone in the SEC needs to look out because that means <laughs> that that kid has been lighting the world on fire. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't think, I personally don't think he's ready yet. I think it will be either King or Johnson. Yeah. But yeah, if Wegman somehow got named the starter, everybody needs to look out right. because that right. means that he is ready to tear the sec up um but yeah just on what you're saying this is real quick before we move on because i know we need to keep going this is the biggest decision of jimbo fisher's career at a&m up to this point totally um, agree the new running joke on twitter is we're calling texas a&m texas eight and four and i think you can explain last year away with a backup quarterback if you're looking really closely now that doesn't matter to the twitter masses that just see the final record but it's it's make or break time. And obviously Jimbo has a lot of guaranteed money. He won't be on the hot seat even if they go eight and four again this year. But it is time to take that next step for AM. And this is a big, big part of that. Yeah. Speaking of next steps, let's go out to Clemson, uh, where we'll keep this, you know, quarterback thread running along the incumbent. DJU, I'm not going to try and say his name on air right now. I haven't warmed up. Uyunglele. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with what Trey said. Um, DJU was supposed to be the next big thing, right? Coming out of California. Um, it was it Matter Day that he that he came out of in, in California there, or was it St. John Bosco? I can't remember. I can't remember either. I think yeah, he's a major day guy. A five-star, you know, produces all pros, Hall of Famers in the NFL type type program out there changes coasts goes to clemson sits behind uh trevor lawrence 
gets the start, uh, you know, when Trevor goes down or gets sick, I guess, has COVID uh, against Notre Dame, barely loses, right? Loses in, in an absolute thriller. Um, and, and then turns around and gets his first real chance at starting last year. And that Clemson offense was horrific. DJU could not throw the ball accurately. Um, when he tried to show off his cannon of an arm, I mean, it was just a coin flip on whether or not he was going to connect with his receivers. His reads were bad. He just, the game looked like it was too fast for him last season. And, you know, normally I think you would be, uh, you you know, you take that with a grain of salt. You would expect improvement and you would expect kind of the next step for a Clemson team that's looking to get back to, you know, winning national championships, right? I mean, Dabo loses his entire support staff, basically. Venables is at OU. Elliott's at Virginia now. So entirely new staff there. But, you know, Clemson has been on top of the world for the last several years. The problem for DJU is that you just have, you know, the hottest quarterback recruit in the country step in behind you in Cade Klubnick, who is a perennial winner at Austin Westlake. I believe he won, what, a state championship all four years of his high school career, if I'm not mistaken, um, beat Quinn Ewers in one of those state championship games, his junior season club can make every throw. Uh, he's accurate. He's smart and he's mobile. Something that DJU is not very adept at. So the big question in, in Clemson is does DJ have the goods to stave off, you know, the new shiny thing coming in, in Cade Klubnik. So here's my bold prediction about Clemson, and this is me trying to uh, fill in for Garrett on the hot takes as best as possible. DJU will start this year, but uh, Cade Klubnik will make his first career start on October 22nd at home against Syracuse the week before they go to Notre Dame. I think... um, awfully specific. (laughs) Well, so looking at their schedule, here's why I say that. Looking at their schedule, they open against Georgia Tech um, in Atlanta. Um, which obviously Georgia Tech is in Atlanta, but they're playing in the uh, Falcons Stadium, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Um, Then they come home for their FCS game and a non-conference game against La Tech. They have a tricky back-to-back here at the end of September where they travel to Wake Forest and host upstart NC State, who is a dark horse to win the conference. Uh, before they make a trip up to Boston College and a trip to Tallahassee. That is a tricky schedule, as about as tricky as it can possibly be in the ACC for modern Clemson. And if the offense struggles, especially in those games against Wake Forest and NC State, if they drop one or more of those games and uh, the offense still struggles, I think there's going to be a lot of calls for Klubnik to get some time now again i do think dju starts the season unless Klubnik comes in and just completely tears up fall camp dju is going to start the season but if they come out of the gate like they did last year i mean i think the lasting memory is them putting three points up on georgia in a loss on opening day last year and i don't have their schedule from last year in front of me but it wasn't pretty offensively um even when they started winning games towards the end of the year If that happens again, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Dabo Sweeney to make that change. And I could see if they are sitting at, I don't know, maybe three and two or four and two, 
um, making that change for the Syracuse game before they go up to South Bend? I'm, I, you know, you set that up as a hot take. If it is a hot take, then I'm all aboard the Express because I'm right there with you. I, I don't necessarily have a date baked in to my thought, but I will say, I mean, from all reports, Klubnik has adapted incredibly quickly. He's learning the playbook. He can, like I said, he can make all the throws. He's a supreme athlete, and he's a proven winner. And not that DJU isn't, but hope springs eternal. Grass is always greener on the other side, and I agree. I think that coaching staff, if they lose to NC State for the second time in two years, if they somehow drop another game and they've got two losses early on in the season, absolutely. I I think without a doubt it will be – due to that offense not being able to keep up. Their defense is supposed to be really good again this season. The defense has not been the problem for Clemson. It's been when they've struggled, it's it's turnovers and it's it's putting up consistent points offensively. That defense wasn't amazing last year, um, but with so many veterans returning for the 2022 campaign, I think they're expected to be a lot better on that side of the football. I agree, though. I, I think the cries, the, the outrage – of maybe having two disappointing seasons or at least one disappointing season and then a start to an underwhelming campaign would be enough for DJU to to lose the job and then you know presumably transfer if Klubnik doesn't doesn't give that right back. Cade to me is the better quarterback prospect. DJ is big, he's lumbering and and you know when his best weapon, his cannon of an arm isn't firing ac- accurately then you're really in trouble. I mean, we've seen he's not amazing at these short passes, these intermediate passes. He's very inaccurate. Cade's not. Cade's the exact opposite. So, um, you know, I I think Clemson, I I don't think, I I don't honestly know if they would let it get to a point where they lost two. You know, I, I think NC State has a really, really good chance of winning that game. If it's looking like there's another game that's going sideways, you know, I, I think Cade certainly gets the chance to go in, replace DJ, see if he can salvage it. But to your point, if, if they do have two losses early on in the season, DJ's getting the hook. He's not keeping that job. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you on Klubnik. He impressed the heck out of me when we watched him take down Quinn Ewers and South Lake Carroll. They didn't just take them down. They dismantled South Lake Carroll with Quinn Ewers in his what ended up being his final high school game so Klubnik is a great prospect I think a lot of schools closer to home really wish that they had him on the roster and yeah I think by the end of this year I think Klubnik will be starting for Clemson all right let's go out west uh now we've we've talked about his former location in Auburn. Let's talk about Bo Nix's current destination uh, out with the Ducks. Bo Nix, Ty Thompson, and Jay Butterfield. It's a trifecta for Dan Lanning in year one in Eugene. Um, you know, we were reading up on this before the show, trying to figure out, okay, what what is kind of the consensus out in Oregon? Is there a consensus Look, Bo Nix at Auburn showed flashes, right? Very similar to Calzada. Showed flashes in the ability to be special. He was an Auburn legacy. His dad played there. I mean, the storylines wrote themselves. But that being said, he also battled some injuries and at times was entirely unspectacular. I think none worse than their trip to College Station last year, the 20-3 to 
loss uh, to the Aggies when Auburn didn't really ever threaten to score an offensive touchdown right before you hit record. Uh, you, you mentioned maybe the worst scoop and score of the season where Nick's kind of falls down. He, he kind of slaps the ball against his own leg and fumbles it. Michael Clemens picks it up for the Aggies and, and returns it for a touchdown. Bo's been unspectacular at times. And I think a, a change of scenery hopefully does him good. The issue though for Bo is there are two former five stars that he's competing against in Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield. Now Thompson did not ever uh, beat out Anthony Brown for that, you know, starting job last year. And believe you me, there were cries every single week to punt Anthony Brown to the curb. So you know, kind of initial temperature taking here. It seems like the Oregon beat writers are saying this is Bo Nix's job to lose. Do you see it that way? I do. And it's another situation where why would you take the transfer if you were happy with what you had? You have the highest rated quarterback recruit that Oregon has ever signed in uh, Ty Thompson. And um, you have another high rated guy. I think Butterfield is a five star as well, right? Yeah. And so Dan Lanning is no stranger to Bo Nix. He was the defensive coordinator for Georgia um, who plays Auburn every single year. So he's gotten a front row seat to Bo Nix and to see what he can do. I don't think he would take that transfer if there wasn't a legitimate uh, starting position there for Bo Nix. I think it is Bo Nix's job to lose. Now we could have another situation where obviously Oregon goes to Georgia um, week one, and they're taking they on they're taking on the Georgia Bulldogs week one. So we could see another situation where it's just obvious that Knicks is not a good fit, and it's a quick hook. But to start the season, at least, I do think it's Bo Nix's job to lose. And you you did a great job of highlighting it, but it was an up and down, up and down adventure for Knicks and Auburn. Obviously, the, he was very heralded coming in. He has the family ties to Auburn. He comes onto the scene. His first game as a freshman leads a comeback win against Oregon, ironically, and has a pretty solid freshman year where he even takes down Alabama. Um, but the two years that followed, you know, you would turn on a game, and I don't think the last two years watching Auburn, I wouldn't I would turn on an Auburn game and I wouldn't be surprised if they were up 31 to 14 or down 31 to 14. Right. Like, okay. That's how Bo Nix is playing today. And it was never really a lot of consistency built up with him. You did see the flashes. I think good Bo Nix leads Oregon to a PAC 12 championship. I think just the lack of another solid program in that division, not a lot of, just resistance there. Um, if Bo Nix plays up to his potential week in and week out and finds that consistency, Oregon's going to the college football playoff. They're winning the Pac-12 either at 12-0 and or 11-1 and and go, probably going to the college football playoff. The problem is I don't think he's going to all of a sudden find that consistency year four in college, and you're probably looking at least at one or two what-the-heck losses. Um <laughs> at least with Georgia, um, especially on the schedule for week one. But even oh, in yeah. conference, I think you're looking at one or two what-the-heck losses and maybe a Rose Bowl appearance or maybe a New Year's Six appearance, but maybe just scratching your head at what could have been with those two five-star guys that are sitting on your bench. 
I think if, if Oregon makes it to the Rose Bowl, it's because Utah is in the college football playoff. Because the way I look at it, in year one of Dan Lanning and just with the, the talent that moved out of Oregon, um, it's so hard to go into a new program and immediately be elite. I think Lincoln Riley is going to figure that out and USC. I mean, as much hype as there is around him, look, dude, taking that many transfers and gluing them together in a matter of months plus – the current roster is not very good. I mean, a really bad tackling team. I've said that a couple of times. It went four and eight last year. Got the doors blown off uh, against their rival UCLA, a not not amazing UCLA team. So year one's hard. Uh, so if Oregon makes it to the Rose Bowl, it's because I think Utah had a whale of a season. Not necessarily that Oregon overachieved, um, but we'll see. We we will see. I think you know the the thing to watch here is if Nick's does win the job. To your point from, you know, all the inconsistency that we've seen from Bo, I think honestly it's going to speak more to the lack of development that Thompson and Butterfield have had. Thompson's had his chances and he's never been able to take that job from Anthony Brown. And, you know, from what I've heard from, you know, listening to Oregon fans and and reading that stuff, it's like Butterfield's just maybe stuck in neutral. He hasn't taken the job himself and, you know, that's a tough, that's a tough position to be in. So I do think that it's Nix's job to lose right now, which I think is a little bit unfortunate for Oregon. But like I said, we, we've seen Nix flash at times. It's just been that consistency, like with Calzada that, Hey, if you're going to be a winning program and go to a new year's six bowl game, you, you gotta, you gotta deliver week in and week out. And that's something that Oregon has missed sorely the last couple of seasons. Um, all right, so let's go back to the SEC West, and we'll we'll talk through LSU, and then Michigan is kind of our asterisk. We'll, we'll wrap that up here in short order. Another trifecta down on the bayou for new head coach Brian Kelly. Miles Brennan is the incumbent. You've got Jaden Daniels coming in from Arizona State, and then you've got former uh, five-star, also a local Dallas product in Garrett Nussmeyer, who are all competing for the job. Nussmeyer was brilliant at Marcus High School, was competing for a state championship before I believe he broke his hand uh, his senior year to miss the season finale and the playoffs. You know, you, you, you talk to people down on the bayou and they think that Nussmeyer is the future at quarterback. The question is, can he wrestle that starting job away from Miles Brennan, who has been the starter, has won games for LSU, but maybe has a lower ceiling. And then you've got new transfer coming in, Jane Daniels from ASU, who you talk about a guy who's running for his life last year, and really the last two years, it was Jaden Daniels at Arizona State. That guy never had a clean pocket. Is is there one out of the three that, that kind of jumps out to you uh, for LSU? Well, I think Brennan, to me, would probably have been a lock until this Jaden Daniels transfer news sprung up. Because I think Jaden Daniels is a guy, leaving ASU, it was kind of, a weird situation it was late in the game I think it was post spring ball even with Jaden Daniels yeah. um, I could be wrong on that but it was a weird situation obviously an overflow of all the Herm Edwards drama at Arizona State I was really shocked that he picked LSU because I think at the very least you had Miles Brennan and Nussmeyer that seemed like a solid one-two depth chart and Daniels coming in there just really didn't make a lot of sense for a guy that I think could have gone to a lot of places and really easily won the starting job. Now, I do think Miles Brennan is more of a prototypical Brian Kelly quarterback, 
but I don't know. Maybe does Brian Kelly change what he's looking for now that he's in the SEC? Does he move away from, hey, I just need a guy who's not going to lose me games like Ian Book or um, some of the other quarterbacks he's had up at Notre Dame and say, I need more of a dynamic playmaker to settle the differences. And I don't mean that as a shade to anybody. I was going to say, I, that doesn't sound super complimentary. Ian Ian Book was sometimes Ian chapter and verse. Uh, so, I, yeah. Miles Brennan reminds me, Miles Brennan is definitely the guy that reminds you more of Ian Book than in either of the other two guys. Big, big, decent arm, not super mobile. Is that what you mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A, a, pocket Brian, passer, a, pocket a Brian passer. Kelly quarterback. So, um I can get Listen, you the quarterback d- and then shelled by 35. <laughs> I do think Miles Brennan does have the inside track here. He's like you said, he's won games for LSU. I think he was a lock before uh Daniels made the transfer. The Daniels news does give me a little bit of pause. I think Brennan starts the uh year as the starting quarterback for LSU. Mm-hmm. But as we've seen in the past, you know, Brennan's a guy that does struggle to stay healthy. That's the reason that Max Johnson got so much time last year for LSU. So if Miles Brennan is named the starter, I think uh, Daniels will probably make at least two starts. I do think Nussmeyer is sitting third right now. I don't think Daniels would have made the jump to LSU to be the third string. So that's why I'm kind of not giving him as much attention um, so I, I do think, you know, Brennan's probably going to be QB one to start the year, but Daniels will probably make at least two starts just judging by history. I'm going to say that Daniels has the higher ceiling over Brennan. Uh, and this is actually going to pair into what I'm going to say next. So I'm going to say Daniels is over miles Brennan. Uh, now this is obviously not being in the locker room, not being privy to those conversations happening. So I have no idea. Take it with a grain of salt. I'm going to say that by midseason, when LSU has lost three games, I don't know if you want to pull up their schedule so we can go through that real fast. Um, LSU's probably in a tough tough spot this year. Uh, again, year one, they lost some some big time coaching uh, coaching staff hire or detractions. I guess is uh, other coaches left, and notably their their DB coach went to Florida. Um, so LSU could be in a tough spot, a loaded SEC West. I'm going to say that by midseason, Garrett Nussmeyer has the reins to the program. I think his ceiling is without a doubt the highest. He's got an electric arm. If he's fully healthy and ready to go, I think at some point LSU and Brian Kelly goes, okay, I've got to see what I've got year two, year three, year four at the program. And he, you know, maybe chalks this season up as as a lost year and and goes with the talent. I, I just I don't know that Miles Brennan does anything for me. He's won some good games. He's lost some some bad games. Jaden Daniels, we'll see what he does at LSU. Again, it's it's apples and oranges comparing his situation at Arizona State uh, to I think his new situation in in Baton Rouge. Um, we'll certainly have a lot more talent around him in yes, Baton Rouge. Yes, without a doubt. So I'll say Jaden Daniels is the starter week one, but would not shock me. You know, by week five, week six, if LSU's kind of in a hole, if Nussmeyer has, has taken over, what, what's their schedule look like? So they've got uh, so 
week one, obviously, they do have a really, really interesting matchup against Florida State in the Superdome. No, baby. The next three weeks, not anybody that would particularly scare you. They host Southern. Uh, they host Mississippi State, who, again, last time they came to Baton Rouge, obviously, that wasn't a pleasant experience for LSU. That was um, and they host New Mexico before traveling to Auburn. October and the first week of November could get really sideways really quickly. They go, uh, they host the Volunteers. They travel to the Swamp. They host Ole Miss, and then after a bye week, they host Alabama. So Woo. that that is a tough stretch there in the middle third of the schedule. And yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. If things go really sideways there, I mean you could make a legitimate argument that they go 0-4 in those games uh, without seeing them take the field yet. So if things go really sideways there before, and then even the next week traveling to Arkansas, a place that they've struggled uh, in the past, that could be a situation where they look to see what they have for next year. Yeah. All right, well, let's let's wrap it up with this. Michigan, not really a quarterback controversy, I don't think, but I wanted to mention it just because – I don't think McNamara is uh, in a normal quarterback situation where he's QB1 on every single down. We saw that a little bit last year when J.J. McCarthy would come in for packages. He would come in on certain downs. Obviously, when Michigan was getting the doors blown off in Miami in the playoff, uh, McCarthy comes in and replaces Cade. That being said, Cade McNamara seems to be QB1 for uh, Big Blue uh, up at Michigan. The it helped that McCarthy missed all of spring ball with a shoulder injury. So really my question is, you know, I think more about the Michigan program as, as a whole, does Cade McNamara have enough in the tank to repeat as big 10 champions? Or do you think that they might regress to the mean a little bit? We'll see a little bit more of JJ McCarthy and, and some upheaval uh, as, you know, Ohio state reclaims dominance there. Yeah, I mean, I do think Ohio State has we, – we talked about this at the end of the last episode in the mailbag. Um, Ohio State, if I was betting money on any team to win their conference, I would probably bet the largest sum of money on Ohio State. But that's not to say anything about Michigan. I think Michigan will be a formidable opponent for them again. Now, if Michigan is going to run it back and make another run at the Big Ten Championship – or the college football playoff, they're going to need to have things fall their way just like they did last year. Um, it wasn't completely in their hands. I think, obviously, beating Ohio State, finally getting over that hump was huge for them. But Cade McNamara, he kind of is what he is at this point. He's not a bad college quarterback. He definitely can and did drive that bus for a good majority of the season. But I think you said it best when they got down to Miami and faced the Georgia Bulldogs, we saw he wasn't really all that obviously not ready to drive that offense at an elite level that was going to compete with a defense like Georgia's. Now he's not going to see a defense like Georgia's anytime soon, this side of the college football playoff. So mm -hmm. I do think that he's a guy that can drive the bus for Michigan to get them to, nine, 10, maybe 11 wins and another New Year's Six Bowl. McCarthy, to me, he does just kind of give off more of that gadget player vibe. I do think he's a vital part of the offense this year. And 
definitely a key thing where if he goes down to an injury, Michigan's offense is not going to look the same. But uh, Cade McNamara is definitely driving that bus. I don't see Michigan benching the guy that finally got them over the OSU hump. I, I just don't – just removing all the other aspects of it, that's the guy that finally got you where you want to be. I think Harbaugh rides with this guy. I, I agree. I mean, now they do have to replace a lot of production. Again, this is probably for another pod. Um, Hassan Haskins is gone. They lose all their pass rush from a year ago. So Dax Hill is gone as a safety and, and really roaming bandit in that, that secondary. So a lot of, a lot of things for Michigan to replace if they are going to run it back as you put it. All right. Well, those are the quarterback battles to keep an eye on in our estimation, uh, right in to the show. Let us know, uh, if you agree, is there one that we missed? Obviously we, we had a couple more, you know, at least that we could have mentioned, but for brevity, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it there. And, uh, I saw you raised your hand there. Yeah. I was just gonna say real quick, you know, UNC in Florida, definitely yeah. two battles to keep an eye on to got to replace Sam Howell at UNC. And I think the battle to replace Emory Jones at Florida is really intriguing, but holy cow, who is going, who is it going to be? I don't think there's a correct answer in Florida. Yeah. So, so many different directions that uh, a lot of these teams could go and that's what makes it fun and interesting. Um, so if you'd like to weigh in on, on any of that at three tech pod on Instagram and Twitter, you can also write us uh, through the Gmail three tech pod at gmail.com. Let's wrap it up with a couple of mailbag questions uh, that we get. Thank you guys for submitting these. We do love getting to answer these and interact with you guys uh, like we continue to mention on an episode-by-episode basis. First question, we'll get to two here to wrap it up. First question, Austin wants to know, what do we think of Texas's wide receiver room heading into 2022? They didn't obviously get Jordan Addison like I thought they would. He goes to USC, but still – very, very formidable wide receiver core there. You've got Xavier Worthy, who broke out last year. Isaiah Nayer comes in from Wyoming. Uh, Jordan Whittington as well. Your thoughts on the Longhorn receiving core? Yeah, definitely the highlight of the team, I think. Uh, if, if Texas is going to go where their fans and their coaches want them to go this year, they're going to ride the arm of most likely, uh, most likely Quinn Ewers and yeah. – he has a great cast of characters to throw the ball to. Keep an eye on Brendan Thompson, too. I'm really excited to see what that freshman can do if he cracks that rotation. True. Very, very true. And, you know, one one guy that uh, I'll, I'll highlight as well, you know, they got uh, Jaleel Billingsley, who comes over from Alabama, the tight end. Um, uh, uh, Ajaye Hall joins that group as well, another Bama transfer. So, I mean, this, this Texas receiving court is just filthy, loaded with talent. One guy that I would really like to see make some sort of meaningful impact, former number one player coming out of the state of Texas in high school, Dave Campbell's five-star cover boy, tight end Jatavian Sanders. Mm. He went viral when he made that one-handed catch without having to jump in the corner of the end zone against not Denton Geyer. I've forgotten who they played that day. Um, but anyway, viral sensation made Sports Center was a top play on Sports Center. Brief claim to fame. I was on the radio call for that moment, uh, and we were just speechless. My my partner Reagan, who was play by play for that, um, we couldn't believe what just happened. He mossed 
you know, a, a 6A high school kid in the state of Texas without having to jump. He's a special, special athlete. I, I would like to see him a little bit more as a pass rusher. I don't think he has that explosive first step that he needs to play in a power five conference as a defensive end. So I think that's why Texas has moved him to tight end, but still his size and his just range, his ability to be an athlete is so valuable for this Texas team. It's going to be harder for him to see the field consistently with Billingsley and, you know, all these other wide receivers that are going to be eating up, uh, you know, pass catching opportunities from yours, but still I would like to see Sanders uh, really start to, to make some sort of impact there um, for the burnt orange. Yeah, as long as Ewers has time to throw, um, he's gonna ha- it's going to be pick your poison for the Texas Longhorns. They have all the weapons in the world. They just need to put that talent together, and uh, I-, I think they'll be able to tear up the Big 12 pretty well. Yeah, it could be an interesting situation where they've got Oklahoma syndrome, where that offense is red hot, but that defense can't stop anybody. And that was yeah. the biggest concern last year was the defense was atrocious. They haven't done a ton to upgrade that defense. Uh, so we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens on the 40 acres, but uh, Texas certainly should be better than five and seven. There is no doubt about that. Second mailbag question. This one came in through our Instagram DMs. Uh, early SEC projections, and I guess we'll, you know, we'll, we're obviously going to dive into this way more as we get towards the season starting. But if you had to pick a team, today that comes out of the SEC West, a team that comes out of the SEC East and meets in Atlanta, who are you picking? Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say the SEC championship will feature Alabama and Georgia. Um, I think, I I don't know, um, something about it just makes me think that they've got a good shot this year. And uh, that's my early, (laughs) way too early uh, division champs in the SEC. Yeah, but see, in all seriousness, second place. Um, I do think second the race for second is probably a little bit more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, give me A and M in the West to finish second, and Kentucky in the East. Oh, I love that! I love that. I, I'm I'm with you. I'm reading the tea leaves the same way. I think it's same song, different verse. Bama and Georgia. I, look, I, I don't think Bama's Bama's going to be on a revenge tour. Um, and, and Georgia, while they're, they lost so much talent from a year ago, I still think that they've been recruiting at a, you know, top five level for long enough that they're going to be able to replace that talent. So I agree. I think that's the, the, the matchup that you see in Atlanta, uh, second place. If I had to go out on a limb, you know, I've seen so much hype around Arkansas. I don't know. I know you're a KJ Jefferson fan and a believer in him. I don't really know that I am. Yeah. Um, you know, people people have said he's an offensive lineman playing quarterback, and while he's not the hefty lefty, um, I do I I I don't know that he's the quarterback I want riding into battle with when the game's on the line. I mean, look, Arkansas had a tremendous start to last season. And then they got eviscerated between the hedges against Georgia. Now, again, generational defense, but KJ Jefferson couldn't breathe against that team. Had no shot at making any of the throws to move the uh, move the chain. So, I don't know if Arkansas is my number two pick. I, I, I'd like to say that it's probably between Texas A&M and Old Miss. The Mississippi schools have given the Aggies hell for the last several years, and as much as I want to say that A&M is unequivocally the best team 
I, I think they've been the better team out of AM, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State for a number of years, and yet that hasn't mattered. So I think it's probably going to be between, be between Ole Miss and AM uh, in the West. I like Tennessee coming out of the East as that number two team. I love what Hinden Hooker gives you, and I think they've got a more complete roster than Kentucky does. But I tell you what, Will Levis, if that Kentucky offense can produce, that we've seen that defense under Mark Stoops is always really good. So I, I do agree. I think it's Kentucky and Tennessee for number two in the East. I think Florida's got a long way to go. There's some people that are saying that Florida's automatically that number two team. I I just patently disagree. I don't I don't think anyone knows what you're going to get out of the quarterback situation with AR15 if he wins the starting job, which I think a lot of people expect him to. But give me give me Tennessee in this little projection to uh, to be number two in the East. Real quick, if you had to pick right now who came in last in each division, who would you go with? Uh, Vanderbilt in the East, I think they're going to get shellacked Fair. again. <laughs> I think a 2-10 and 10 campaign would be um, par for the course. In the West, um, I'm going to say it's, ooh, it's between Auburn and LSU for me. I'm going to say I just – completely do not trust the quarterback situation at Auburn and I think Brian Harson gets fired sometime midseason and Auburn goes like four and eight um and is a seller dweller there in the west yeah I I'm actually right there with you um if you remember the year that Gene Chizik got fired at Auburn it was not pretty that whole thing just kind of fell apart in the middle of the year and they actually went zero and eight in the SEC I mm. I wouldn't be shocked. I, I don't think they'll go 0-8. They might luck into a win, but it, I don't. I'm not expecting a very good campaign on the Plains this no. year. No. I mean, not. It just it's not an elite recruiting class under Harson. Um, they just didn't show me anything last year. I think their defense can be fine, but that offense could be stagnant once again. And, I mean, look, if you can't score in the SEC West – you're going to lose a lot of football games. So, yeah, I, I think Harson is not long for the Plains, and uh, I think Auburn ultimately is the uh, the doormat there in the SEC West. Um, well, like we said, write in. Let us know what you think. At 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter, you can write us on our Gmail as well. Trey, any final thoughts here before we sign off for the people? Man, we are just a few weeks away from previews. Yep. And I am so excited to dig into these teams more. Just talking about quarterbacks has me fired up. Tell your friends about the show. If you're enjoying it, please leave us a review. Tell your friends about the show. If you know anybody that needs more college football content in your life, tell them to give us a subscribe. Give us a follow on social media. We'd love to have them join the family as we're getting started up. Yeah, completely agree. It's been a ton of fun so far. Um, like we said, the the numbers are extremely encouraging. It's it's awesome to see where you're listening, how many people are, are already listening and tuned in on an episode by episode basis. Um, you know, that's one of the things is as a, a new podcast gets started, sometimes you have, you know, kind of some audience tuned into one episode but not another. I'll tell you what, you guys are very consistent at tuning in to each and every episode that we roll out. So we thank you guys for that and uh, look forward to many, many more. For Trey Reeves, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for listening to The Three Technique. Until next time, so long, everybody. Yeah.